0: Hello Skywatchers, thanks for listening to the Royal Observatory's Lookup Podcast. I'm Jess,
1: and I'm Ophelia, and we're going to highlight what to look for in the sky in December in this cosmic diary. When looking at faint objects such as stars, nebulae, the Milky Way, and other galaxies, it's important to allow your eyes to adapt to the dark, so that you can achieve better night vision. Allow 15 minutes for your eyes to become sensitive in the dark, and remember not to look at your mobile phone or any other bright device when stargazing. If you're using a star app on your phone, then switch on to Red Knight's vision mode.
0: We are treated to not one, but two lunar occultations this month. The first will happen on the 5th of December, when the Moon appears to pass in front of Uranus. And the second is on the 8th of December, when the Moon appears to pass in front of Mars. If you watch the Moon over an hour or so, you'll see that it moves relative to the background stars, and might even move in front of a bright star or two. That's because the Moon orbits around the Earth. So, from our perspective on the 5th of December you'll see the moon approach Uranus before it moves in front of the planet. The exact time will depend on your location but for London it'll be around 4.46 pm and it will vary by a few minutes around the UK. So if you think of the moon as a clock face Uranus will disappear at around the 10 o'clock position and then it will peek out from behind the moon again at the one o'clock position. So it'll go in at around 4.46pm and it'll appear on the other side at around 5.23pm. It might be a challenge to see Uranus as it is very dim, especially as the moon will be almost full and very bright. The moon will be in its full moon phase on the 8th of December during its occultation with Mars, the second occultation this month. So Mars will disappear at 4.55am at around the 10 o'clock position, and then it will reappear on the other side of the moon at 5.56am and then it will be at the four o'clock position. Mars will be at opposition on the 8th of December, meaning it will appear at its brightest and largest. That's actually quite exciting. I like that it lines up. These occultations are best seen through a large pair of binoculars or a telescope so you can see the planets as disks instead of points of light. This is particularly true for Uranus as it's usually too dim for our eyes to see.
1: December also brings us two meteor showers, the Geminis and the Ursids. The Geminis, tends to be one of the best meteor showers of the year thanks to the bright abundant and multicoloured meteors the peak of the geminis is on the 30th and 40th of december but you can see meteors from the shower from the 4th to the 20th of december sadly the whaling gibbous moon will rise at around 9:30 p.m. on the 30th of december and its light will drown out the dimmer meteors so don't expect to see as many as the maximum hourly rate of 150 meteors that's usually associated with the geminis the Earthids is active between the 17th and the 26th of december and it's peak falls on the 22nd and the 23rd of december whereas the source material of the geminis come from the rocky object 3200 phaethon the Earth's come from the debris left behind by the icy comet 8p tutel the moon will not be up in the night sky to interfere with the peak of the Earth's but, under ideal conditions, observers can expect to see no more than 10 meteors per hour. Meteor shells are named after the nearest constellation that they appear to radiate from. For the Gemini's, it's Gemini, and for the Urses, it's Ursa Minor.
0: Winter is on the way with the approach of the winter solstice. This year, the winter solstice falls on the twenty-first of December at 9.48pm exactly, and it marks the start of astronomical winter. The sun will reach its most southerly point at this time, meaning that it will shine directly above the Tropic of Capricorn. This means for us here in the Northern Hemisphere, we'll have the shortest day of the year and we'll gradually gain daylight after this date, which is something I'm looking forward to. Those in the Southern Hemisphere will have the opposite. This is their summer solstice, and they'll have their longest day of the year, and then it'll all downhill from there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> No. Short days means longer nights means more
1: stargazing. Within the constellation of Taurus the Bull, look at the tip of one of its horns, and you'll find a crab nebula, the result of a star exploding at the end of its life. The supernova was observed by astronomers in 1054, and was bright enough to be seen in the daytime for three weeks. Pick up a pair of binoculars or a small telescope, and you'll be able to see the oblong shape of this huge cloud of gas and dust, located 6,500 light-years away from us. It was invisible to our eyes, though. Is a radio infrared, ultraviolet and X-ray light that the Crab Nebula emits.
0: Cool. If you are in the Southern Hemisphere, then look out for another nebula named after an animal, the Tarantula Nebula. This nebula is found in the Large Magellanic Cloud, a relatively small satellite galaxy of the Milky Way, located around 160,000 light-years away from us. It's an easy object to find with binoculars, but a larger telescope will show off just how spectacular it is. The Tarantula Nebula is the birthplace of hundreds of thousands of stars, similar to the Great Nebula in Orion. However, the Tarantula Nebula is about 40 times as wide as the Orion Nebula, and so if it were the same distance to us as the Great Orion Nebula, then it would cover about half of the sky, and the light it emits would be bright enough for us to read a book underneath.
1: If you take any photos of the night sky, please do tweet them to us at ROG Astronomers. You may also want to check out our night sky highlights blog. blog, brog. Oh. You, <laughs> you may also want to check out our night sky highlights blog on our website, rng.co.uk. But now it's time for our cosmic news. Wing.
0: All right, welcome to the cosmic news section of the podcast. Ophelia's looking very prepared and ready. slightly terrified Um, (laughs) so for anyone that hasn't listened to our podcast before this is where we bring you some up-to-date astronomical news for the month that we're in and then we ask you to vote on which news story is your favorite so last month we had two news stories do you remember what they were
1: mine was about Uranus and its tilt and how it might have gotten its tilt Mm. and
0: yours and mine was an update on the Arecibo telescope and the fact that they're sadly not rebuilding it to the same capacity. Shall I reveal who won? Yes, yeah, oh. 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 you. Yay! <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so Ophelia won with the new theory on Uranus's tilt, the fact it might have been dragged into that position by a moon, which is pretty cool. I'll give you that.
1: Cute. And uh, well done, Uranus fans, for voting it the winner this week, this month.
0: Now this month we thought we'd do something a bit different because there's only one news story which has dominated all of the news that you and I might read and I'm sure other people's news cycles as well and that is the launch of Artemis 1. Did you watch the launch of Elia? So we've got, so we thought our news this month could all be moon themed because Artemis 1 isn't the only news story. We also have the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 17 landing which is nice and neat. 50 years after we went to the moon, we're going to go back to the moon.
1: Yeah, yeah. Mm. And, uh, I mean, the launch is on the 7th of December. And we're doing something quite special on the 7th, aren't we, Jess?
0: We are, yes. We'll be doing a live stream here at the Royal Observatory from 8pm on the 7th of December.
1: So join them. They'll talk uh, about the history of uh, lunar observations and about the legacy that the Apollo mission has had. And uh, we're also going to use our Animona Astrographic Telescope, to uh look at the moon as well that sounds great
0: i'll definitely be watching it um if you did want any more information on our live stream we're going to put a link to our site's youtube channel in the podcast notes for this month so go to our youtube channel and you can find everything there so Artemis one finally launched yes yeah it was meant to launch back in august so we actually spoke about it in the august podcast And Greg said the fateful words, by the time you listen to this podcast, it will have launched. And so cursed (laughs) it.
1: So can we blame Greg then?
0: Yes, you can. Um, For everyone across the world, Dr. Greg Brown. (laughs) (laughs) Tweet him. Um, But no, there were four cancelled launch attempts, weren't there, due to problems with the rocket. (laughs) (laughs) Problems with the rocket and also with the weather as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. the weather's always uh, the one thing you can't always predict
0: that's true it did finally launch on the 16th of november and it will be back in 25 and a half days so mid december isn't it
1: yeah about that that time yeah so it takes it usually takes about 3 days to get to the moon and about 3 days back so that's about a week's trip why is it taking a whole month
0: that's a very good question because they're going to get to the moon, and then they're just going to hang out at the moon for quite a while. They're going to sit in orbit of the moon. They're going to sit and orbit the moon. They're going to do one and a half full orbits of the moon, I believe. Quite a distant orbit and a retrograde orbit. So it's going to go the opposite way round the moon to the way the moon goes around the Earth. And they're going to test out all of the systems on Artemis 1.
1: Ah, guess okay. so that's a good plan. Make sure it all works before we uh, put an astronaut or, or a couple of astronauts. Before we put astronauts on board?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it's fair to test something of this size and magnitude before we put real astronauts on. So this launch has no people on it. It has some mannequins, some dummies of people. Um, Not just for fun. They've got covered in sensors so we can see how the launch would stress a real human and the radiation in space would stress a real human. But Artemis 2 is going to go, hopefully, with a crew around the moon. And then Artemis 3 will have a crew and they'll actually land on the moon if everything goes to plan.
1: Wow, that's... That's quite a quick sort of series of events, just, just one more, we'll, we'll, we'll have uh, astronauts on this spacecraft going around the moon. That's, that's pretty quick. When can we expect these uh, launches to happen?
0: So we've moved Artemis 2 back to 2024, and then they're suggesting Artemis 3 will be 2025, but it'll probably be pushed into 2026, um, yeah. so in the next few years, effectively.
1: Wow, that's not long though.
0: No, it's very exciting. You'd
1: think you had to wait 50 years. It's last one.
0: Mm. Um, yeah, and it's interesting to compare this Artemis launch, Artemis one, to Apollo seventeen, because obviously they're both by the American Space Agency, they're both by NASA, both going to the moon, um, but very different circumstances. So with the Apollo missions, they had that drive to be their first, to beat the Soviet Union. Um, whereas here, you haven't just got to be the first, so you haven't got to be as quick as possible. You can put a little more, a little more thought, and do a little more sort of ambitious things with your orbits and with your technology and of course it's been 50 years technology has improved quite a lot do you want to hear my favorite one of my favorite ways technology has has improved yeah go for it. so with the apollo missions uh three people went to the moon one person stayed in the command module which orbited the moon and the other two went down to the surface one reason for that is because they had didn't have the technology to have automated systems to let that command module just do its own thing in orbit Whereas the equivalent for Artemis is going to be called the Lunar Gateway, like your gateway to the Moon. So that will be up in orbit and then you'll go down to the Moon from the Lunar Gateway. Um, that can be left uncrewed because we have better technology now and that's possible. <laughs> oh, so
1: does, does that mean that the astronauts, one astronaut won't get to miss out on landing on the Moon? Yeah. That's
0: great. Because mm-hmm. I always feel for that third astronaut. I never get thought about, you know, it's Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin. No one ever talks about Michael Collins. Yeah. <laughs> So less of that with Artemis.
1: Other oh, one doesn't have any living crew on board. You you mentioned the mannequins. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else on board?
0: There is. You've seen this video too, right? Yeah. Um, there are no people, but there is a little soft toy. There's a Snoopy Teddy currently bobbing around <laughs> inside um, Orion, which is the sort of human part of this, the human capsule, effectively. That's not the word for that. But, um and Snoopy is a zero-gravity indicator. Have you heard of zero-gravity indicators? Do you want to explain what zero-gravity indicators are? So when,
1: when a rocket uh, leaves the Earth, when it gets into space, there's a point where microgravity kind of takes over. Um, and so this indicator kind of tells you when that happens. Um, so when you're going up, it will be sort of pulled in one direction. And then once you reach that point where you're at microgravity, it will start to float around.
0: Hmm. so we could use some kind of scientific instrument to tell us if we're going to be floating around or if we're being affected, how we're being affected by the gravity of the earth and the moon. Um but instead, we use a soft toy on a string. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 I think for for fun, it doesn't have to be there, but it is great because each mission can choose their own.
1: and also, there's no of you know. There's n- not as much chance for it to go wrong. That's true. If you bring an instrument, lots of things could go wrong with it.
0: Whereas mm-hmm. a soft toy, it'll either float or not float. See, so yeah, if you ever watched a video of a of a crew launch, hopefully at some point during the video, when they hit that point, something will sort of bob into view, and it'll be a it'll be a toy on a string. Quite often, I know I've seen a couple where the astronauts' children have chosen what toy to be the mascot, to be the gravity indicator. So there's a very glittery dinosaur out there. Oh wow! Yeah. And a little soft toy giraffe as well. Someone's daughter asked that they take. So we should say why Snoopy was there at all, right?
1: Yeah, why is that? Uh,
0: There's always been this sort of link between Snoopy, the comic character, and the Apollo space program, the American space program. Um, Because right back to Apollo 10, which was the sort of practice run, had astronauts inside but didn't actually land on the moon. But Apollo 10, um, they had call signs for the command module, which stayed in orbit, and then the lunar module, which would have gone down to the surface, didn't quite get to the surface because it was a practice run. Um, and the command module was called Charlie Brown. And then the lunar module that was snooping around, they called Snoopy. Ah. Yeah, so it became like a mascot of, of the Apollo program. And they're still using it today, which is nice. Ah. Yeah. Um, and it's not just Snoopy on board. Who else is there as well?
1: Shawn the Sheep.
0: Shaun the Sheep. Uh, which is ESA's European Space Agency's contribution, isn't it? I don't know why. They made
1: other contribution, of course. Sorry. The also,
0: <laughs> also, the service module, I think, was built by them, but mainly, Sean <laughs> the Sheep. Sean
1: so the, sh- the Sheep is the first European Space Agency astronaut to go to the moon.
0: <laughs> um, but the zero-gravity indicators got me reading about mascots in general, and like superstitions and traditions in general. They sort of overlap in space life. So, obviously, these are all people who've worked for decades on these missions, and they're all scientifically minded they're all engineers and technicians and scientists and they develop these programs so they must be quite serious people but they still really lean into the superstitions around space flight which i think is really great
1: (laughs) what's your favorite superstition that you read about
0: my favorite one i don't know if i should say was not because my favorite one i'm not sure is real (laughs) (laughs) um but i think it was yuri gagarin on the way to his flight first man in space on the way to the spacecraft he got the bus to stop because he he had to go to the bathroom and he got out and he had a wee on the back tire of the bus and apparently all astronauts who are launching from the Baikonur is something Baikonur right yep. all astronauts launching from the Baikonur Cosmodrome on their way to the spacecraft their very final drive out to the launch site um, they stop and have a ceremonial wee on the back tire of the bus
1: <laughs> that's superstition mm. do you or superstition do you have any uh superstition something you have to do before you present a planetarium show
0: mm. I don't think I do you know i have a I have a procedure I yep. have traditions. <laughs> I don't know if they're superstitions. I like to do everything in the same order every time okay um do you, have you got any superstitions?
1: I always tap the desk on my elbow. oh um because so a little behind the scenes here, we've got a switch underneath a table that turns on a red light outside. when that red light comes on, um that tells everyone outside that the show is started, and no one can come in. I always get an electric shot from that switch. So tapping my elbow on a table
0: helps me to discharge. <laughs> oh, you get um, static from it. Yeah. Interesting. I don't think I've ever been static shocked by that. Yeah. I've never had that shock. Okay. I think they I think they
1: have fixed the switch, so it doesn't do that anymore, but I still do
0: it. <laughs> so you go have a tap. Um, another real superstition tradition, I don't know which word to use, um, is apparently lucky peanuts. Um, and this is an American tradition for their mission control. So not astronauts this time, but people in... Um, in mission control so if you're watching videos of launches all those people sitting on those banks of desks with their headsets on looking at all the telemetry data and everything Um, apparently they decades ago there was a launch and multiple launches had failed and it hadn't gone well and then they passed around some peanuts as snacks during this launch and it went right and since then they've thought they have to have lucky peanuts (laughs) (laughs) and it's a real thing for some of the um mars rover launches they even gave everyone like branded bottles of like jars of peanuts everyone had like a perseverance rover of peanuts with them Oh wow! yeah and i have been looking through all the footage of artemis one of their mission control to see if i can find peanuts and i haven't yet found peanuts in any of the videos but well it's okay it's worked (laughs) it's working so far
1: i mean not everything has worked with artemis
0: that is true some things have gone a little bit wrong what's gone wrong tell us about one of them
1: one of them um multiple of them (laughs) as well as snoopy and sauna sheep and these mannequins there are a few cubesats as well on board. Um, so these are little little satellites that can uh, take measurements of whatever you want, really. Um, one of them was supposed to land on the moon. Um, unfortunately, they—I think—they lost contact with it. They stopped. They stopped trying. Um, one of the other cubesats have also had problems uh, working. It was supposed to do a crucial manoeuvre on Monday, the 21st of November. Um, it's supposed to look for water on the surface of the moon. Mm-hmm. Um, they're still currently trying to fix it, so hopefully uh, that'll be okay, and it will uh, continue on its water-hunting mission.
0: Okay. But these CubeSats, they effectively hitched a ride, didn't they? Yes. On the space system, on the rocket. So they're not integral yes. to the functioning of... Of the Orion capsule or of Artemis one in general, but they just went up with it and then were released. Yeah. So they haven't all worked perfectly. Because, because we
1: don't have humans on board, there's quite a lot of space and also oh. uh, free weight. Might as well put some scientific experiments on board. Yeah. Mhm.
0: Did you read any other things that had gone wrong with Artemis one? Not that we're picking holes, but just out of just out of interest.
1: Yeah. The space launch system is the biggest and most powerful rocket anyone has ever built and during its launch it actually destroyed parts of the launch pad. Wow. For example it actually uh, blew off uh, the doors from from the elevators that you know takes people up to the top of the rocket.
0: Ah so when the rocket's sitting on the launch pad it's there pointing up and then you have the structure next to it the tower scaffolding that's, that's holding onto it.
1: Yes yeah.
0: It blew those elevator doors off. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Very powerful. I guess it's never—they've tested components of it, but this was the first time they'd ever done it. They didn't know how much how much force would be.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good test to, to to see just how powerful this rocket is. And then, of course, now that they know how powerful it is, they can reinforce the launch pad and the towers and these elevator doors, so next time it won't happen.
0: Mm-hmm. There's a huge amount of fuel in this rocket. Um, which you saw if you watched videos in the Launch, all that fire coming out the other end. Um, one really nail-biting part of the, the launch countdown was when they paused the launch countdown because there was a leak. Mm. Mm. So when you see a rocket sitting on a launch pad, it often looks like it's steaming and there's like stuff coming off of it, right? It's not hot. It's because often the liquid propellant is kept at very low temperatures and that boils off. So it has to be kept really, really cold, but at our atmospheric temperatures, at normal human temperatures, it, it boils back into gas. Um, If you ever looked at liquid nitrogen, that kind of thing, but they use liquid oxygen and liquid hydrogen, which means you fill up your rocket, but then you have to keep topping up your rocket the longer it sits there, because you'll lose some of your fuel otherwise, because it's not cold enough out on the launch pad. Um, So there was these fuel lines pumping up the rocket, and there was a leak in the hydrogen one, and they thought they could fix it, but to fix it, they had to send a crew of technicians to the rocket whilst it was fully fueled and ready to go. Which is something that happens, but not very often. So obviously that must be so stressful mm. and so tense. But you send special technicians, they're called a red crew, that have trained for it. And all they well, not all they did, they drive over to the rocket, they walk in, they go up that tower thing up the side and get to the right part of it, the right pipe. And then they tighten a the nut with a wrench. And then everything works. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> um, which is interestingly something that also happened with Apollo 11. So when Apollo 11 was sitting on the launch pads, there was also a leak very last minute and someone had to run in and tighten something with a wrench um, so it's a nice sort of comparison between the two
1: well hopefully that's actually you know a bit of a good luck
0: maybe that'll um, be another
1: like a symbol that is all mm-hmm. going
0: to go wrong So now for every artemis launch in the future you think they're going to make a technician run in and touch a nut and then run out again <laughs> um, i was uh reading about the apollo programs and particularly things that have gone wrong
1: oh yeah with
0: apollo because apollo obviously was great success We sent 12 we, I wasn't there. America sent 12 people to the moon over that three year period. It was super cool. And then they stopped doing it. But um, there were lots of almost problems, like almost failures. Oh. Um, most famously, Apollo 11, first ever landing on the moon. And um, as they were preparing for their first ever EVA, their first ever walk out on the moon's surface, um, one of them knocked into a like a fuse breaker, like some kind of switch and snapped it. And they needed that to get off the moon again. And um, And so they went on their moonwalk and they came back and apparently whilst on the walk they thought of a solution and they came back in and they used a pen and stuck the pen where the switch handle would be and used that to fix it and it all (laughs) worked fine and they got off.
1: (laughs) Safe by a pen. Mm -hmm.
0: So Apollo 17, the one we're celebrating the 50th anniversary of with Gene Cernan, Harrison Schmidt and Ronald Evans, the one who didn't land on the moon but was still very important, the command pilot. um, Something that went wrong with their mission which was in general a success. There were loads of firsts. It was the furthest ever travelled um, in a rover on the moon, the longest ever landing on the moon, uh, the most rocks ever collected on the moon, I think. They did lots and lots of firsts. Um, as they were offloading their lunar buggy, their sort of rover that they drove around in, um, one of them was using a hammer, and he broke the fender of the rover. <laughs> um, so the rover still worked, but the fender was protecting them from all the dust from the surface, all that regolith, right? If you, when you look at photos of the Apollo astronauts, they look really dirty because of all this mm-hmm. dust from the moon sticking to their spacesuits. It was kicking loads of dust up in their faces, And it was a problem. Um, And so they duct taped a paper map (laughs) to where the fender would be to block (laughs) which I think is great. And then apparently the next day on their second, um, I keep wanting to say walk, but that makes it sound so trivial, their (laughs) second walk on the moon, um, they did like a more permanent fix to the rover fender. Uh, They taped four maps to it. (laughs) The president of the Auto Body Association of America, so like fixing in america at the time the Auto Body associated america gave them a lifetime membership in honor of their their fix of a rover on the moon which i think is sweet <laughs> <laughs> that's my favorite apollo 17 facts um, can you think of anything else you want to say right now yeah so
1: both artemis and, and apollo have had problems but it sounds like there's always a a fix so i think what's important is that if things do go wrong, and they probably will, how you deal with it, that's important. How you yeah. try to
0: fix it. That is a lovely, lovely life lesson. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you're right. It's, it's incredible and it's really exciting. But what it mainly is, is a testament to, to people, because it's all individual people working really hard for decades and solving problems and thinking of things and working together as a team. Yeah. I love space flight. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to our rambling about the moon and space flight in general. So rather than pitching me against Ophelia for this month's cosmic news, not just because I keep losing, but <laughs> uh, because we've been talking about the Artemis missions and its aim to have this sort of permanent base on the moon and be on the moon for longer and longer periods, very important question, first for you and then for everyone else, would you go to the moon?
1: I would definitely go to the moon if I didn't have
0: to do the community. That's exactly what Greg said when I asked him. Yeah. <laughs> it's the travelling there, which might be a problem, but I would love to go to the moon as well. Yeah, um, I would like to know what everyone listening would, would do, whether they would go or not go. Um, and so that's going to be our poll this month, I think.
1: Yeah, I think mean, that's a good good poll.
0: All right. And how do people vote in our poll?
1: Go to our Twitter at ROG Astronomers.
0: Let us know what you would decide. Uh, that's all from us today. Thank you. Keep looking up.